wish to greet each one of you in Jesus' name this morning. I was sure blessed by being here. I appreciated that uh, devotional on uh, that Nathan shared. I also appreciate the Sunday school lesson a lot and uh, the songs. I was especially blessed this morning by the song, Jesus Loves Me. I don't know about you all, but just sometimes, you know, a song will kind of hit you just the right way where you need it. And uh, just, just uh, you know, meditating on that truth that Jesus loves me. He loves you. That's so beautiful. This morning, the message title is The Help Meet. And it's about women in general. Also pertains to mothers. And is for all of us. Um, so I'd like if we would turn together to Genesis 2. Genesis 2. I would like to read verse 18 through 25. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and he shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Here we have a Genesis principle. Eve created for Adam, created to complement him. And you're going to be hearing quite a bit of this this morning, the complement thing. Now this is the complement that makes, completes, or makes perfect. It's not the complement as in... I'm giving you a compliment. There's a difference. Men do need compliments, but God created Eve to compliment Adam, not to compliment him. You see the difference? Hopefully I can make that distinct enough. The difference is complimenting can say you did a great job. That was really good. And you can actually compliment somebody by doing that. But... Uh, you, but you can do this even if you have no involvement in the accomplishment. You're not part of the team or anything. You can give someone a compliment. Whereas complimenting speaks of close involvement in another person's life. It's being part of the team, not just being a spectator. So we have Eve here, the help meet. It says the man and his wife created Eve created not from Adam's head that she should rule him, nor from his feet that she should be walked on or disdained. Rather, created from his rib. She was taken from his side that she should be protector of his heart and his fitting companion for life. 
created to serve beside him, created to be a helpmeet in his calling, in his labors, and in his endeavors, a complementing force in his life. Eve the helpmeet. And I'd like to look at the headship principle here just a bit. Now, you may wonder, well, how does this have to do with Mother's Day? This sounds more like a wedding sermon. Well, it's not. And yet it is. We have to get the factors in place, though. The headship principle. I mind sometimes when I hear so much about mothers and how mothers can, you know, what they need to do and how they can do it all and so forth um, without taking into account really how it's all supposed to fit together. And that's where I came to Genesis. So we have the headship principle. In 1 Corinthians 11, 11, verse 3, it says, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So man is first in line to answer to God for his family. And, you know, for God to single out woman to answer for himself for the family would be to circumvent the headship principle God called man to lead out. Ephesians 6.4 says, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The responsibility goes to the fathers. Fathers bear that spiritual responsibility for raising the raising of the children. When Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, if you remember that account, Eli the prophet had two sons, Ahaphnes and Phinehas, who were rebellious. And one of the things they did that was such an abomination that was listed is they took of this sacrificial meat. And they weren't supposed to eat the fat with this meat, with this beef. It was theirs to eat, but not the, not the fat. And they would, as soon as the meat was to a boil or wherever they thought it was ready, medium rare, whatever it was, they would stick their forks in and pull this meat out with the fat. And people that knew the law said, you can't do this. You're not supposed to eat the fat. And they said, you know, they'd, they'd say, get back. We're going to take the meat like we want it. That's in First Samuel. Really interesting account. Um, and that's one of the things that was an abomination. God listed as an abomination. They were rebellious. And, and it says Samuel or Eli didn't, he didn't restrain them. You know, God didn't, when he talked to Samuel and told Samuel to relate this to Eli, the prophet, God didn't say, go to his mother and say, look, unless you get your boys in line, I'm going to judge you. No, he said, talk to Eli. Because you're not restraining them. There's going to be judgment here. That doesn't give mothers a free pass. However, it does fit in well with the narrative of the Scripture in that the fathers bear their spiritual responsibility for their children. And mothers are expected to lean in next to them, to compliment them in teaching and in the training program of the children of the family for the glory of God. And when this God design becomes tangled or tampered with, there is always confusion and frustration. When this design of God's fathers taking their responsibilities and training and bringing up children and, and mothers and leaning in and supporting them, complimenting them in that uh, for the glory of God, whenever that's tampered with, there's always confusion and frustration. 
Not to say that it can't work, but it doesn't work like God intended. Or maybe I should say not to say that there can't be good results by the grace of God, but it doesn't. There's, there's frustration there that shouldn't be. I would like to clarify, though, lest you men or us men uh, feel totally unfit and like we missed the boat. Let me qualify. Leaders and helpmeets are never born. They're never born with all the qualification. And, uh, but, but they have the ability to grow in them. Uh, Delvin, Brother Delvin is speaking of Peter this morning and how that he wasn't born an apostle. He was born a pretty weak man and God grew him. God developed him. He became converted, entirely converted, and fit that role. And we can become entirely converted too. I believe that as we grow and as we as we grow in this role, we can we can mature and we can become more and more what God has us to be. There's a poem by William Ross Wallace that I think well illustrates how important and how influential women are in the affairs of man, in the affairs of this world. And I'm going to read it quickly. Blessings on the hand of women, angels guard its strength and grace in the palace cottage hovel, oh, no matter what, where the place. Wood that never storms assailed it, rainbows ever gently curl, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Infancy is a tender fountain, power may with beauty flow. Mothers first to guide the streamlets from them, souls unresting grow. Grow on for good or evil, sunshine streamed or evil hurled, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Women, woman, how divine your mission. Here upon our natal sod, keep, oh, keep that young heart open, always to the breath of God. All true trophies of the ages are from mother love impearled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Blessings on the hand of women, fathers, sons, and daughters cry, and the sacred song is mingled with the worship in the sky. Mingles where no tempest darkens, rainbows evermore are hurled, for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. There's no doubt that the mother speaks a great deal of influence into the lives of her children, whether for good or evil, as Wallace points out. And if there ever was a place that Adam or that man needed a complimenter, it's here. It's the task of bringing up the children for the glory of God. If there's ever a place that that man needs help. It's right here. Well, God has a high standard for the help meet, for the help meet mother. Titus 2, 1 says, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. And then the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And then it goes on to address the young men. Help me defined again. Help me because the mother's role is to compliment the husband, the leader, role. It's to complement the leader's role in the family. 
with raising the, the family and raising and beyond. Help me characteristics are, are godly and they're desirable for all women, wherever they are in life and whatever their roles are. The help me role for the woman is an eternal principle. It's a Genesis principle and it carries on throughout Scripture. The woman was created to complement complement the man. Some of you here are mothers. Mothers of young children, possibly. Mothers of older children, possibly. Grandmothers. And some of you may not be mothers at all, but are perhaps looking forward to that role. God knows where you're at. He sees your heart and He loves you. And these attributes that are laid out for women here in Titus and 1 Peter are for wherever you're at. They're foundational attributes. And they should be taught and learned at a very young age, I believe. They're core helpmeet characteristics that will enable the woman in God's kingdom, wherever He chooses to use her, they'll enable the woman in God's kingdom, wherever He chooses to use her. First one I'd like to look at is holy behavior. And that could be translated as reverent behavior, a reverent attitude. And, and that's in verse 3. I think 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4, and that's, I would see as a companion scripture to Titus here. Uh, this fleshes, the, it fleshes out this concept a bit more. 1 Peter 3, 3 says, Don't let your adornment be merely outward. The arranging of the hair, the wearing of gold, or putting on of a fine apparel. But he says, rather, so don't let it merely be the outward, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Adorn the inner person of the heart. And I'd like to look at this some more, that adorning of the heart. Model in the looking glass of the word instead of in front of the mirror. First, model in the looking glass of the word. Model for God what you'd like to see instead of for what you would perceive that others may want to see. 1 Samuel 16, 7, and this is the Lord speaking to Samuel when he was choosing one of the sons of Jesse for king, anointing one of the sons that God had chosen. The Lord says to Samuel here, when Samuel thought that firstborn was the right one, he just was a good-looking young man, looked like he could make a good king, Samuel evidently thought. And God says, no, no, just back off here. Uh, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. The Lord, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I don't think this necessarily means that David wasn't handsome or attractive. I think he was both. He was a talented musician. And he was pretty good at defending his livestock. Those are good, all good um, you know, things for a young man to, to be able to be said about. But what I, say, what I believe it's saying here is, is fairly basic. The Lord looks at the heart. He looks right past the P 
pimples or the saggy, sleepy, deprived eyes, and he sees the heart. God also looks past the peaches and cream, flawless complexion, and uh, the carefully clothed body, and he sees the heart. So adorn the heart first and foremost. Look at the heart. Look at your heart in, in light of the word before you look at the mirror. And with what should you adorn your heart? It says, with the incorruptible beauty of a meek and a quiet spirit. The meek and quiet spirit is precious in the sight of God. If something is precious to God, then we do well to make it a priority in our lives. These attributes are incorruptible. Precious, meek and quiet spirits, attributes, they're incorruptible, they're gold. They won't corrupt. They don't have a shelf life that will, in a bit, you know, perish. They'll always have value. The more it's fired, these attributes of a meek and quiet spirit, the more they're fired, the purer and more beautiful they become. The more they're put under the test, the more beautiful they'll become. Meek is defined in, as gentle in the NIV. The definition of gentle is a mild in temper is mild in temperament or behavior, kind or tender. And quiet, I can think of no better def- definition of this than the def- definition we would find in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. It vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up. It doth not behave itself unseemingly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. That's what I think of as quiet. It is, I don't think of as someone that doesn't say anything or just is seen but not heard. Um, that's, that can be a good attribute, but I think it has more to do with that quiet spirit. It, it vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. Seeketh not her own. It's not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. The meek and quiet spirit. And then help meet mothers, keepers of home. And I've pulled some of these together for the sake of time um, into this keepers of home, some of these attributes. And you'll see this as we move through. Titus 2.5 says, To be discreet, chaste, home keepers. The wise woman, Proverbs says, the proverb writer says, builds her house, but the foolish woman pulls it down with her own hands. Look at the contrast, building or tearing down. And I'm going to look at the negative here first. Take a little bit of a look at the negative. A couple of ways for a woman to tear down her house. A self-centered attitude. An overemphasis on having the good things of life. The name brand stuff. Being chick and the proverbial keeping up with the Joneses, I believe is one way for a woman to tear her house down, especially when it comes at the expense of, of um, making the husband work harder and longer and, and uh, so forth. Um, an eye towards Hollywood or Paris will have a way of tearing down a home as well. 
It's very hard, I believe, if not impossible, to build a home if your focus is on people, people who are not chaste, are not pure, are not self-controlled, not help meets in the Genesis sense of the word or the New Testament sense of the word. It's very hard to build a home when the focus is towards there. Uh, for where your treasure is, there will your children be also. There will your heart be also. And there will your children be as well. If your treasure is towards, if your focus is towards Paris or Hollywood, um, your children will be there as well one day, I believe. It's tragic when a woman tears down her home. There are women blessed with godly husbands who they, whom they could compliment that tear down their home. Well, if you tried ways for a woman to make our house a home, so there can be a house, it can have four walls or eight walls or how many ever many walls that you want in it, however many bedrooms and baths, but it's a house, I believe, until, I believe until a woman makes it a home. I think a man can make a home, but it's not quite the same. But anyways, we won't go there this morning. So a few tried, tried and true ways for a woman to make a house a home. Creativity unleashed is the one, first one I have down. The home should be a place where a woman can make her own nest. It's her place of sanctuary for the family. She takes a little, the little or much which comes her way from the work of her hands, from the work of their hands, her and her husband's hands, and turns it into a thing of beauty and comfort for a home. Mother's handwriting is on everything in the home. What's for dinner? That's the words you hear a lot, especially when you have teenagers growing up. And that's the mother that makes a good dinner rules the home. <clears throat> Enough said. Training the children. The most important role of being a keeper at home is to train the children. And this evolves. We've seen this happen in our family as the children grow. First, it might be teaching them to pick up the toys. Later, it involves all kinds of things like scheduling the schoolwork and the school runs to giving good advice about issues such as managing money, spiritual counsel, and input about such weighty things as life companion considerations and so forth. You know, the mother has such a wonderful opportunity to reach into the lives of her children there at home, just in that day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute interaction. You know, staying up late with one of the children, talking about the big things that that child is facing, um, talking at the table after school. Um, there's just so many ways uh, a, a woman can complement the work of, of raising up the children. Really her husband's primary responsibility, but she complements that and brings it together and perfects it. Let's not forget the story time. That's such an important part, I believe, of, of uh, making a house into a home. 
little urchins and bigger, bigger, big gangly urchins, all like a good story. Uh, mothers that compliment the father by bringing the children together for story and devotions and singing and so forth, those mothers truly shine. That's truly a compliment to the upbringing, the training, the raising of the family. I can't say enough about this. Um, you know, devotional times and, and so forth, um, I think are so, so important. And, and mothers have such an opportunity to, to be helpmeets here. Another way that a mother or wife or sister can compliment the home is by being discreet and chaste, self-restrained. A chaste mother, a chaste wife or sister or daughter can bridge many a chasm in complimenting or perfecting her husband and raising her children. I'm coming at this from a bit of a different angle here. But we've heard of the vicious cycle, you know, where something starts going the wrong way and it seems like everything that adds to the cycle just moves it faster and faster. And one of those cycles is, maybe the worst is, is when a husband and wife are helping each other in a negative cycle. I've, we've seen that in our own lives, and I'm sure any married couple have seen it. And it can happen in a family where negativity can build on each other and move around the pole the wrong way. And it moves faster and it builds on itself. A chaste wife or chaste, um, I'll just leave it at wife, has the potential to break that cycle. The potential of turning her house into one of an upbuilding encouragement instead of passing the salacious, and, and as an example, instead of passing the salacious and juicy gospel, and she prays for the circumstances. That's one way. You know, that's a beautiful thing, and I can't a godly wife that encourages her husband um, in this respect. You know, the husband may come home from work. He's upset about something. Something happened. Um, the Maybe, you know, maybe there's some church work. Maybe there's something else. The son comes home and he's, or the daughter. And she, instead of, you know, building on that thing, turns it around and says, well, you know, you need to look at it in the, in the larger sense, or how could you change this? Um, I remember my grandmother was one that was like that. And um, she, she did very well at that. At changing the trajectory of the cycle, moving it back around the other way. You know, instead of passing the, on the salacious and juicy gospel, she prays for the circumstances. Instead of posting online, she posts heavenwards. Instead of becoming a newscaper of the community, she spreads her wings more tightly around her home. Her husband calls her blessed because he doesn't feel compelled by her to shoot her spit wads or clean them up. Now that's, that may sound kind of, kind of crude, but you know, thanks to her goodness, he can safely trust 
her to temper his actions and decisions in glorifying God. You know, thus complimenting him and perfecting him in his leadership role. And I'll leave it at that. A loving, humble, and unassuming spirit, a spirit willing to wash the servant's feet is another way of making that house into home. It's a way of reaching out. Love those who you're responsible to, your husband, your family, and beyond. Love is patient, kind, slow to anger. And there's not a better way for the woman to ensure a long-standing house one that will stand on into eternity than to love her charges with a godly love. And then there's the obedient thing, obedient to their own husbands. You know, Sarah called Abraham Lord. It says that in 1 Peter 3, 6. Why? Not because Abraham was smarter or because, that, because he was a jerk. Because Abraham did have a few jerky moments. But, you know, she didn't call him Lord, I don't believe, because he was such a smart man. And so she called him Lord. Or she didn't call him Lord because he was a jerk and he made her call him Lord. You know, his jerky moments were those when he, when he, um, he had Sarah lie about his relationship to her. And we, we all know those stories. But overall, he wasn't a jerk. It says he's described, or in, in, in uh, Hebrews and elsewhere, he's described as being a great man of faith. He was a good man. Sarah, I believe, understood the headship order, and that's why she called him Lord. She understood that Genesis helped meet principle. That's why she called him Lord, that God created her to serve in a complementary role to her husband. She knew... She understood that God wanted her to help make him complete, help make him perfect. You know, the, the alter, alternative here is an unsubmissive or a disobedient attitude. And that's not God's will. That's not what God would have. That's not what brings happiness. It's not God's intent for a woman to be stomped on. She, uh, she was given, women are co-heirs with men in the grace of God. She's to serve alongside of her husband. And, and that alternative, that disobedient attitude is one that asserts her will over her husband's or over the man's. She resents, that disobedient attitude resents complimenting, resents not being the leader it's, it's an attitude of domination. And folks, friends, brothers and sisters, I believe this world is falling apart and it seems today, right now, because of this attitude and the resulting confusion. Men not taking their responsibility and women resenting to be, not wanting to be, complimenting. And in many cases, because of the societal pressures, they have very little to compliment. And that's sad, but that's another, we're speaking to believers today, where women should be able to compliment their husbands and their men. Abraham wasn't perfect. Neither was David. Neither is your husband or your father. However, by 
Use a wife or mother or daughter complimenting the person who is in legitimate biblical leadership role in your life. You can be a great enabling or perfecting force. The wise woman builds her house through obedience. So we could ask the question, what if a woman is in a compromised situation? And I don't have, I can't answer all these, that, that question. But I will say this. First of all, there may be need for some special counsel. You know, if there's an unbelieving husband or a husband that is, can't be complimented, uh, there may be need for some special counsel, some special help. But one thing I do know, and that is this, I have firsthand witnessed more than one mother in a situation where father was not what he should have been. I've witnessed this. And in cases where mother followed through, she did what is spoken of here in Titus and 1 Peter. And throughout the Bible, the mother built their homes. Those mother built, mothers built their homes through obedience to God and to their husbands in spite of the difficult situations and they reaped the rewards of a house well built. A house that will stand for eternity. Children, grandchildren walking on in truth, even when they did, the mothers had to build under compromised, a compromised biblical situation. Mothers who lived honorably and died with great honor. This can happen and it can be done. 1 Peter 3, 1 again says, Wives, likewise be, sub be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. And I would go on to say that if their husbands may not be won, their children may be won. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And I'm, a, I'm convinced that many a, a child has been won to the kingdom of God by a loving, submissive attitude of a godly helpmeet in spite of a lacking husband and father. I believe we have good, godly husbands here this morning. May not be perfect, but they're being perfected. They're growing. And I'm glad for that. Okay, loving service. And I've combined two together here. Love their husbands, love their children, and then serving. You know, perhaps the most touching th and beautiful thing in the world is to see a godly helpmeet type lady reaching out beyond her family, her household, and meeting and blessing the needs and blessing those around her in the same type of way that she blesses her family. That's, that's a beautiful thing to see. You know, she's brought up her children. Uh, she's being a good helpmeet, a good complimenting force in the life of her husband. And she's moving beyond that. She's growing her circle of enabling and perfecting.
And that is such a beautiful thing to see. There's a qualification of a faithful widow. It's in 1 Timothy 5.10. And this is it. Well reported of for good works. And this is talking about, this is a qualification of a faithful, godly widow. If she have brought up her children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed at every good work. And you don't need to be a widow to have these qualifications. And that's a high calling. There's no doubt about it. But it's a good calling. It's an eternal calling. It's one that is uh, worthwhile and worthy. You know, what is the reward for all of this? Well, there are immediate rewards. Loving mothers have reciprocating loving children. Reciprocating, should have reciprocating loving husbands. And should have the love of those around. Those are immediate rewards. But then there's other rewards of the faithful servant. Matthew 25, 34 through through 40. I'd like to read these verses. The king will say to those in his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For what reason? For, and, and he goes on to give these reasons. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And these are goals that we should all have as Christians to reach out. You know, I think of this setting and I'm thinking of a village life. You have the poor. You have the needy that are right beside you. I remember this in Romania. You know, you might have a rich person on the same street as a poor person. One that has all the anemones of life. has the washer, the dryer, and um, has running water, indoor toilets. And on the you know, house down, you have one that has to go outside to get his water down the street somewhere um, that has an outdoor toilet that doesn't have washer and dryer. Um, and then you have the drunk that's, you know, drunk all the time, basically. And he needs to be looked after on the cold night need to keep an eye out for him because he might be outside his door, not in his house. And he might freeze to death if somebody doesn't pull him inside because he made it to his door and he couldn't get it open. I've seen that. We don't see that as much in our culture. We're more affluent. There are more safety nets. Uh, We're more uh, suburban. And yet, I think that it's so important that, that fathers, first of all, husbands, Men, you look at these verses and we take a look and see how can we help? How can we fulfill this, these verses here? You know, feeding the hungry, giving, giving uh, clothing people and so forth. How can we do that? Because I believe we do need to be fulfilling that. And um, 
You know, it might not be right here. And I think, again, mothers, women can very much complement um, the leaders in finding ways and looking out for places they can reach out. And it may be helping an organization. It may be, you know, there's many different ways. But I would say, look, pray about it. Make this part of your life. Who are you clothing? Who are you helping? Are you helping to raise a child that doesn't have a father or mother <clears throat> that is orphaned? You can be for a lot, very little money. You can be helping to raise a child. You as a helpmeet will be called to service. God didn't create you to take selfies and further clutter the world wide web. I'm not saying a selfie is bad and I'm not saying posting something is bad, but that's not really what God created you for. He didn't create you to be served, to spend your life drinking nice teas and lattes or to be a pampered princess to whom the prince will report and you will give calculated compliments. God didn't create you as a woman for that. Not to say that that can't happen. I don't like the calculated compliments, but God created you to serve. In his service, you'll find fulfillment and peace. In his service, you will know the joys of being enfranchised into the kingdom of God. You know, the right to work is a huge deal in the kingdom of God. You go to another country and you may think, well, I have to work here. If the day comes when you can't work, you'll appreciate how much um, you should have appreciated that you can now. Um, Just the ability to work and the right to work is a huge deal. If you go to another country, you're probably not going to be given the right to work, at least not for a while. If you go to Canada, you wouldn't be given the right to work there uh, right away. Uh, To be given the right to work and to earn money means that you're accepted as part of that society, the country you're in. You're You're respected in that society. And that the service that you have to offer is appreciated. That's what it means to have the right to work. And this, young girls, wherever you're at this morning, this is why you, like God, should look at the heart when you're thinking of qualifications in a young man as a life companion. You should look at the heart very deeply because you were created to complement. You were created to, to help out to perfect. And it's a good idea to, not a good idea, but it's so important to look at the heart when you're thinking of qualifications in a young man. Do like God did and look at the heart. A godly woman taking her role as helpmate to a godly man is a treasure to the universe. That sounds kind of lofty, doesn't it? Well, it's the truth. A godly woman taking her role as a helpmate, as a complementer, To a godly man is a treasure to the universe, pleasing to God, a treasure to her husband, a blessing to society, and eternal and an eternal home builder.
And when I say an end and eternal home builder, think of what you can take to heaven. It's not going to be anything that you've made or developed or created here. It's going to be what God's created in children and souls and, and maybe people around you that you've helped to uh, come to the kingdom. A godly woman taking her role as a, help, as a helpmate to a godly man is a treasure to the universe, pleasing to God, a treasure to a husband, a blessing to society, and an eternal home builder. This morning that gives us guys, us men, us husbands, a lot to think about, I think. It puts a lot of pressure on us, and I'd like to have a follow-up message on the husband's and the men's role at some point in time in the near future. But it really does make us think. It should make us think. And, uh, you know, what are we doing? How are we encouraging our sisters, our wives? And are we really appreciating them like we should? I thank God for godly mothers, godly wives, godly sisters in my family and in the church. We are blessed. And uh, we can all be an encouragement to them um, in, in pursuing the godly path. God bless you.